Thank you. Be seated. Let's seek the Lord's mercy on his word tonight again as we come rallying around God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, your Holy Spirit has inspired the word and we're grateful that we may trust it. We may see it as infallible, as inerrant. We may see it as sufficient for us, authority for life, for practice, for belief. We pray, Lord, that you'll grant us blessing from your word tonight again. It is good news. It is to be received as such. We come and ask for a submissive spirit, humble spirit, so that what is proclaimed is about the greatness and goodness and grace of God and that we would receive it in kind by the blessing of your Spirit. So may you accept our prayers once more as we seek you out in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be going again to 1 Corinthians. and 1 Corinthians 1, we're finishing up that portion as we've started a series out of this letter in the New Testament, Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians. And we're reading tonight from verses 18 to 31, sermon title being Boasting in the Lord Alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Let's take a moment to read from this portion of the Lord's Word. For the word of the cross is folly. To those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low, despised in the world, even things that are not, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. Again, we thank the Lord for this portion of his word. May it be a blessing to our hearts and lives today. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that I noticed over time, uh, I noticed it more when my children were born and raised than when I noticed it myself when I was young, is that it seemed like a lot of the pharmaceutical companies uh, thought to make children's medicines taste a little better. For some reason, I have this old memory of when I was young that anything that my mother wanted me to take or my father wanted me to take did not appeal to me at all because it just never seemed to taste good. Now you have all these flavors, you almost think it's candy-like. And we understand, of course, probably in part, uh, and anybody who's in the medical field here knows this better than I do, but uh, partly I'm sure that one of the reasons why things shouldn't taste so well is, is that maybe people will start taking it just for the taste and not for what it was intended. Uh, and uh, instead of taking it only as directed, as people would say, they would take it at their whim. But oftentimes people will say, if you think about you know, how medicine can sometimes taste, taste bad, you say, why is it that what's good for you has to taste bad and, and, and the things that are not really good for you are the things that taste so good? Uh, Paul saw that on a spiritual realm in part. He knew that that for many people, the preaching of the gospel, which was a good thing, was offensive. They didn't want to take it. But unless you're willing to receive it, you won't get spiritually well and you won't benefit from its message. And when we're unwilling to accept the preaching of the gospel, that's a serious matter. When we don't accept the gospel, we're left without the spiritual medicine that's needed, the remedy, and not only to make us better but or make us whole, but, but to make us alive unto the glory of God, not only to receive the benefits of salvation, but then to, to serve as we were seeing again this morning, the good that comes from a saving faith and appreciation of the gospel and how that impacts us so that our lives are transformed so that we're not boasting in ourselves anymore, but we're boasting in the Lord alone. It's like the Westminster Confession would say to us, when it asks, what's the chief end of man? And the answer to that question is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The glory of God is really the calling of every human being that has ever lived why he is on this planet. People took the time sometimes to think as they were living, why am I here? If they're really going to be serious about it, and if they look, are looking for the right answer, it is to give glory to the God of goodness, of greatness, and grace. And that's really the, the conclusion of what we read about, isn't it, in our passage, that as the passage runs itself from eight verses 18 to 31, we hear the so that, that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Those concluding verses, they remind us that if we're going to boast, if we're going to brag, if we're going to glory, 
if we're going to put a spotlight somewhere, then we need to put that spotlight on the Lord in all things. The reasons that he gives for this boasting uh, is the preaching of the cross and the means of grace that way, and then the grace of God itself. And so we want to take a look at, the, at those two thoughts this evening, that we're boasting in the Lord alone because of his means of grace and because of his grace. We start by first of all looking at the fact that we should find ourselves boasting in the Lord because of the means of grace. And that's really where our passage starts, doesn't it? When it's talking to us about the word of the cross. We should find ourselves boasting in the Lord because of the preaching of the cross. The people in Corinth were, as we saw last Sunday morning, and we'll see more often as we work our way through the portions of 1 Corinthians that we will, we're having a problem with pride and ethnicity. Right? There was a bit of spiritual amnesia at the least that had arisen among the people who were having a difficult time sporting a gracious tone about them. And they seemed to have forgotten the message of grace that had first been preached to them. Or, worse yet, they were proclaiming a different gospel entirely. A message of worldly wisdom and worldly standards that were based on race, pride, rather than uh, the message of grace and the cross of Jesus Christ. They're stressing more their Jewishness or their, their, the fact that they were Gentiles or whatever they might have been rather than stressing the message of grace. People seem to be getting a steady diet of the gospel of somebodiness, if I may say so. I am somebody uh, because I follow this person or I follow that person or I have this ability and, and you don't. Yes, I'm, I'm somebody. And if I'm somebody, that must mean that you are not. Uh, I, I belong to this race or this group. And you don't. I'm from this class of people, that line of work, that influential sect, but you are not. Well, that sets me apart from you. And I'll act accordingly to that. But Paul says that's following the standards of worldly wisdom. Paul says he didn't come preaching the standards of this age, because if he did, then what he would be doing, of course, is he'd be sapping the preaching of the cross of Christ of its power. He came to preach about the cross of Jesus Christ. But preaching the standards of this age is very attractive to many people, to different kinds of people, and many people, period. And Paul knows that. And he admits that when he preaches the cross or the gospel, and there has to be an understanding of that, it's a wonderful thing to preach. It's a wonderful thing to proclaim. But as the apostle points out, not everybody appreciates it at all. Different kinds of people don't appreciate it at all. In fact, people would have loved to 
heard a lot of other things instead. Because what Paul was preaching was naturally offensive to the natural ear. It was naturally offensive to people's worldly standards. And that's why many didn't accept them, and that's why many didn't believe them. Some Jews didn't like the gospel preaching because when Paul would preach about the glories and blessings of the cross, some of these Jews would only see a curse in the cross because they knew their Bibles that whoever died on the tree was a curse. The cross seemed to speak not of the power of God, but of the weakness of Christ. And so they looked instead for power. They looked for a miracle. He says Jews look for signs. A sign, something more associated with power than a cross. And so preaching the cross, preaching the gospel that way, seems to be devoid of power. Some Gentiles didn't like the gospel preaching because it seemed absolutely foolish to them. To, to speak about a king or a deliverer or a savior who died as a convicted criminal on a cross administered by the potents, potentates of the powers of Rome? Where, where's the power in a message like that? It seems foolish to be associated with something like that. If you're looking for victory, if you're looking for conquest, how do you find it in one supposedly defeated by the powers of men. Why be associated with that? Such a power, such a message goes against the grain of worldly standards of wisdom and power. You don't gain a following by dying. And you certainly don't show your power that way. Foolishness, so thought the Gentiles. Worldly standards always think that the preaching of the cross is both foolish and even scandalous. Even within the Church of Jesus Christ, that the idea that there's something influential or something powerful about gospel preaching, uh, it can be easily doubted. It's not worth the time. It's not worth the time to listen to it. Other things are, are more relevant. Other things are more influential. Other things uh, seem to be more pragmatic to do. And certainly the things that are going to be preached, you're going to preach, preach things that, that seem to be more relevant. Preach about people's self-esteem. Preach about a gospel where God wants you to have everything that you ever wanted in this world. Preach a gospel about how good people are. If they just saw that in themselves so that they act, could actualize their potential. Preach about how people can be somebody if they just saw it in themselves. Preach about how people can be successful and be a, a, a people that can influence other people. And, and that draws droves of people. It does. Preaching about the cross can be offensive, though, because it testifies to man's weakness and shame. And the only remedy for that shame, and it's not found, as we heard again this morning, it's not found in ourselves. And that can be offensive. What do you mean that I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps? Preach instead about then, since that's not that's really not the problem, right? The problem's not with me. The problem's out there. It's not it's not in here. So I'm going to preach about 
other things. I'm going to preach about other people. I'm going to preach about other either supposed causes or made up causes. Preach, I'll preach about racial differences and how we can fix those and how people need to fix those and how, how there's people out there who have to fix that for themselves. And they got to get over themselves. But not me. Don't speak to us that, that the only way to fix our differences is in Christ. You know, you should maybe spend more time talking about gun control or the need for more laws to stop shooting. Now that's relevant, you see, at least in certain places. But don't preach that the only way that true, deep, and lasting change happens when people by grace begin listening to the preaching of the gospel. That's foolishness. Why that's even scandalous. Why do you talk that way about me? Why people are perishing, not just physically, but spiritually, is because people don't want to listen to the preaching of the cross. And it's too bad, isn't it? Because, because gospel preaching promotes the family. It promotes the home. It promotes a positive work ethic as we glory, not in ourselves, but in God, as we undertake what we undertake. It, it, it proclaims new life, transformation, salvation from the slavery of sin, salvation from ourselves. It speaks of a penitent and a humble way to live and a conviction that the problems in my life are not, first of all, all out there. Because that's so much the cultural gospel that is often heard. People want to shoot the spotlight at, at these people or those people because, because those are the ones that are depraved, but not, not me. Don't spotlight me. The problem's all out there. And yet the gospel speaks to here, doesn't it? It speaks to us personally. It speaks about personal accountability. It speaks about personal responsibility. It doesn't speak about a victimized society. It speaks about personal accountability. The need for a change of personal hearts and changes of life. A need to turn from my sin and a turning to God in Jesus Christ. And then I believe that when we do that, it'll go well for me. And above all, and above all, my attention will be where it needs to be. It needs to be in giving God glory in every part of my life. Whenever I'm shooting the spotlight somewhere else that way to accuse, I want to shoot the spotlight in myself to say, and see how much better I am than that. And that's glorying in ourselves. When we're called in the gospel, get the spotlight off of ourselves and our supposed goodness and put it on the greatness and goodness and grace of God. But that's foolishness to the world that's perishing, as our passage says. It's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. God is pleased and powerful to save such as these and, and use them to his praise. Preaching is powerful. It is. It transforms lives by God's grace. Preaching speaks of divine grace and the need for it. And that offends people who don't think they need it. 
It speaks about sin, and, and that offends people who think sin doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Well, it probably never existed, you see, because we just didn't understand in our in our modern day context that that sin doesn't exist because God doesn't exist. We we just we we might have problems, but but they just need to be therapeutically removed. But when we speak about sin and the need to have that cleansed, then that's offensive because we don't think that sin exists anymore. It speaks about punishment apart from the gospel. And that offends people who think that they, they haven't done anything that, re- that deserves that kind of uh, everlasting treatment. It speaks to a faith commitment, devotion to the God of grace and to Jesus Christ. And that offends people who, who, who want to be the master of their own ship or or want somebody else besides God to run their lives. You know, preach the gospel to, to people in need of change. You're, you're expecting too much from preaching. And for some, they think that's the last thing anybody needs anyway. Yet unless people see that such is what they need, such gospel, then no change is going to come to hearts that, that want only to promote a culture of death and chaos, and again, doing so with a spotlight on themselves who are here today and, and gone tomorrow. Why glory in that? Now the gospel is the message of wisdom and power. Nothing can stand up to that. Not the Egyptian wise man, not the Jewish scribe, not the Greek philosopher, not the modern-day atheist, not the modern-day humanist, not the person who thinks that we should all be able to do what's right in our own eyes. Except for Christians, of course. All those worldly standards leave people wanting. The evolutionist, the feminist, the abortionist, the Marxist, the redefiner of the family, those would-be saviors of the earth who don't see that that they need a savior. For those who push celebrity, who think that the most important thing in the world is to be pretty or popular or powerful, or prosperous. Such people are left spiritually and physically bankrupt without God and without hope in the world. Real wisdom and power are found in the preaching of the cross, the means of grace. But the wise of the world do have their following. The temptation to capture that following is to change the message of the gospel to one of those false gospels. And it can get you quite a following. It really can. You know, I, I've always said to myself, just personally, I always thought I, I just wouldn't probably have the courage <laughs> to try to do that. Because I just wouldn't feel like I'd have anything to rest on. And somebody would catch me for it. And I wouldn't be able to stomach that. But there's, there's plenty of people who they can stomach that just fine. Uh, and they get quite a following. Television, buy up, they'll buy up their books. People will buy up their books. Their buildings can be filled to the rafters. Everybody knows their name. Place is packed to hear them. The real power and the real wisdom is still in the message of the cross. It's the power of salvation to those who believe. It's the wisdom of God, the power of God, who's able to bring blessing from the curse of the cross. Amazing. 
able to bring life and power from the death and weakness of the cross. Phenomenal. That's the message that we need to continue to proclaim and the message that we need to continue to believe so that the wisdom and power and the glory of God will be praised and not the not the foolishness and weakness of men. That praise of God is, is what he deserves because God's grace is applied so that people do believe the message of the cross. And that's our second point here tonight. Paul provides a reality check to the people in Corinth who were tempted to boast. I mean, why is he bringing that up after all? Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, why bring that up if that's not an issue? That's not a problem. Well, it is a problem. They're boasting in themselves to the harm of the church, which you see as you keep reading out of, and, and destructively within the church there. That's why he has to write to the dishonor of God especially, because you're not boasting in the Lord like you should. And so he lays it out frank, frankly. When it comes to the standards of the world, he comes right to the point. He says, look, people, most of you were nobodies in the eyes of the world. But even though they were nothing in the eyes of the world, you know, they weren't of nobility, they weren't wise in the eyes of the world, they were uh, not a, a people that way that, uh, that showed forth, as it says here, wisdom, power, nobility. Most of you were nothing. But even though they were nothing in the eyes of the world, that's, that's irrelevant. What had happened is they had become objects and recipients of God's love. And, and that's what's important, isn't it? I mean, I think often, oftentimes, you know, high school or grade school or whatever, you know, even... You know, when you go to a new place, go to college or whatever, and you want to fit in and you want to belong, and you know, you, you don't want to look like you're out of place, and you, you know, you want to be able to, uh, to be appreciated, valued, right? Important to people. But at the end, what's most important? To be? One that fits in with everybody else? Or is it to, to be someone who you know is a recipient of the grace of God? Now that's what's important. And so these people, he's saying, Paul is saying to the church there, he says, you know, you, you became something then and called to be something, but not by the standards of the world, but by the power of the world. I mean, if you were prosperous and popular and pretty and, and powerful and of the right stock, then, then you were somebody by the standards of the world. And, and it, there was a temptation to just kind of bring that over into the church and kind of do the same thing there. But you're not brought over into the church that way because of who you are. It's because of God's grace. And that's not what these people at Corinth were, says the apostle. They were nothing according to these standards. And in fact, no matter who we might think we might have been or might be without Christ, we are nothing without Him. We're nothing without Him. It's always in our sin that we wrongly think we're something. 
we're somebody. In our pride, we, we wrongly think we're, we're somebody. We're it. And in our depravity, we wrongly think we're something because you know we do this, or we own this, or we know these people are... We're known by others. You know, but outside of Christ, we're nothing but slaves to sin. We're nothing. It's only because of Christ that we can be anything. And that anything that we can be is only by the grace of God to the glory of God. And that's what matters. The pastor said it's because of God that you're in Christ Jesus who has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. We've become all those things in Him. So even so, now we're when we become somebody, it's only because of God. It's not, it's only because we're in Christ. And only because of God's Christ. Only that way. So, how can we how can we do other than to sing to God be the glory great things he has done and so divine grace puts to shame those who think that there's somebody because of the world's standard of somebody whatever that might look like but even when we become somebody in Christ we have no right to brag about what we have become and maybe somebody has. Because that's not why we, we became somebody. It's, it's not why we were made somebody. We were made somebody, justified, sanctified, redeemed, so we could glory to God. So we could give glory to God. And we could put away the worldly wisdom that says, the only, the only thing that matters putting the spotlight on yourself. Paul says even later that whether we eat or drink in this letter or whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. Everything. So we can brag. It's okay to brag, but not like the world. Because the world brags about itself. About how wonderful it is. And it looks down around everyone else as if they're nothing in comparison. Because the world's somebody and everybody else is nobody. The church is to boast in glory in the Lord and to be servants to one another. Servants. And to find power in it. That's our calling in the church. When we know or when we remember when we recall that we've become something only because God saved us through His Christ. We're all tempted to let worldly standards dictate how we look at others and look at ourselves. And, and there's always a temptation that's out there, and we pray for the Lord's pardon for that one, when there's this desire for that spotlight to come on us as if to say, I want people to pay attention to me, who I've been, what I'm doing. When we let that happen, God isn't glorified. And we don't treat each other well. 
because our pride gets in the way. May the Lord help us to remember that, that there is a reason why we are not to glory in ourselves. Because we are not who we are by ourselves. It's like we're going to hear later in, in 1 Corinthians 2. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. We, we are who we are by grace alone, having believed in the message of the cross. May we as a church not give, it, give in to the temptation of, of turning the message that comes from this church into anything less than the message of the cross, the means of grace. Because it's only by that message that God will graciously save lives and change lives to the praise of His glory. Which is why you and I were created in the first place. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, again, we come to you and are grateful for how this passage lays things straight for us. The world wants us to shine the spotlight on ourselves and to look at others in a demeaning manner so that the problem's always out there and never with us. The worldly standard of wisdom that seeks to glorify in oneself and to find one's so-called redemption in anything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And wants to demean and consider irrelevant the means of grace, the, the preaching of your gospel, to change people's lives by the blessing of your spirit. Lord, we, we get reminded again here that if we have that temptation to want to put the spotlight on ourselves, we have to remember that when God calls us, He doesn't call us according to the standards of the world. He doesn't say, well, you're so great, so I'm going to take you. We're nothing according to worldly standards. We're, we're in fact, dead in our sins and trespasses. We would be nothing without you. But Lord, when you do redeem us, sanctify us in Jesus Christ and make us wise into salvation, well, then we see what our point is. Not to all of a sudden brag about who we are, brag about how you claimed us saved us in Jesus. Oh, may we find ourselves every day, dear Father, as the Scriptures tell us all the time, not to be trying to get everybody to pay attention to us, but to give attention and glory to the one who deserves it, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, along with you and the Holy Spirit, the one only God, in whom we are to be finding our boasting all the day. May you accept our prayers for the sake of Christ.